0: Lock, hope, radio. Good Saturday morning, this wonderful Saturday on May the 7th, 2011. To all of our Off the Shelf listeners, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. I truly, truly treasure having you here with us. For those of you who, it might be your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, but we have many loyal listeners that I appreciate, I want to introduce myself to you. I'm your host, Denise Turney. Coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and again, I thank you for your support, and I encourage you not to let another day pass before you get a copy of Long Walk Up. That's my latest, my new book should be out this year, and it's titled Love Pour Over Me. But Long Walk Up is a powerfully moving, inspirational book that you need to add to your book collection. Uh, only for six dollars. You can get it in print or in e book form. And you can pick up a copy of Long Walk Up Today at Chistel, C H I S T E L L dot com. Again, that's www.chistel, C H I S T E L L dot com. You can also pick up a copy at bookstores anywhere. If you don't see it on the shelf, just ask the clerk for it. And now I want to introduce you to our very special guest for the day. He has been on the show before. So we're excited to have him back. He's a former journalist and he, he I want to talk about his new novel and some of his recent accomplishments and achievements. And our special guest today is Julius Thompson. He's a former newspaper sports reporter as I was telling you, and he is also the author of the books Philly Style and Philly Profile, a brownstone in Brooklyn and Ghost of Atlanta which is his latest it re, it was recently released and he's online at www. and you really don't need the www but com. again that's jt spelled just the way it sounds jt Writes w r i t e s dot com j t writes dot com Julius thompson please go over and check him out you can you can visit his website and again, i always say this is what I love about internet radio. you can visit his website even as you listen to today's interview so julius welcome 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 back
1: denise thank you so much it's just a pleasure to be back with you uh it's been a good it's been a long time and just great to hear your voice. Uh, I, You know, you bring back a lot of my Philly memories because I'm from <laughs> Philadelphia, and it's just, just tremendously wonderful to be back on with you again.
0: Oh, I just so appreciate it, and I'm sure all of our listeners do as well. Uh, For our listeners who are, as we were talking before the show went live, for our listeners who might be tuning in to hear you for the very first time, I just want to make sure we go back and discuss each of your books because all of your books are interesting, and it's very important that we discuss them before we get to The Ghost of Atlanta because you wrote a trilogy. So we want to give our readers, our listeners, um, a preview into what leads up to your latest, The Ghost of Atlanta. When you wrote Philly, Style and Philly Profile. And I wonder this, like when I think about the Harry Potter books, did you know when you wrote that first book, when you sat down to write, Philly, Style and Philly Profile, did you know it would become a trilogy?
1: No, I did not, Denise. When I wrote that first book, it was going to be one book, one book only. I would enjoy the process. But as I started to write, more ideas came in mind, more ideas came in mind. And I realized that it was going to be too much for one book. So oh, as I got near the end of Brownstone, what I did was, you know, I've got to have another book. So I started to figure out how I was going to cut Brownstone off, and that led into Philly. And then when I was doing Philly, I said, you know, I've got to have an ending. This is not the ending. So I had to work on that. And I pushed forward, and I moved, and then I got the idea for Ghost of Atlanta. So it was not just one. It was going to be one book, but then all of a sudden it just, whoa, it just expanded. And you're You're right. You just see that ideas start to flow, and if you realize, yeah, all the the word stuff of all three books, it's over 150 thousand words. Wow! <laughs> so, you, so that cannot be one book. <laughs> it couldn't be one book.
0: But how many pages? How many pages in would you say are in each book?
1: There are about 200, and I said the average is about 219 to 225 pages in each book.
0: Okay. You know and, that. Go ahead.
1: And what what happens to these is that um, so a lot of people say, well, how do you know when the book ends? Well, you just know it ends. It's <laughs> just one of those things. You know, how does a, a musician know when the song ends? It's just you have right. to have that feel. And so when I was writing the book, that was the thing. How do I end it? How do I push forward? How do I keep material in that won't be repetitive, you know, in the next book. So it's it's, it's a little complication there. But once you get that figured out, then everything will fl- everything flows so well.
0: Well, I, I think about again. I don't know why I'm thinking about like the Harry Potter books and Lord of the Rings. Those books were so long, and still trilo- trilogy. That's why I was asking you. Some stories, I guess, they're so in depth. You maybe the author is so connected to the characters that they're creating that the story is that long and it needs to be. A, 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 a trilogy because and that's something that, as a writer myself, that sometimes I have to think about. Are, are you putting too much in one book? Because you can overwhelm readers after a while if you have too much happening in one story. What, what is happening? A brownstone in Brooklyn's first, then Philly style, Philly profile, then goes to Atlanta. What's happening in the main character's life at the start of a brownstone in Brooklyn? And can you introduce our listeners to the main character who's in each of the each of the stories?
1: Yes, it's Denise. The main character is a young man named Andy Michael Pilgrim, and I—the it, name I just thought up—but what it means is Pilgrim is the same as pilgrimage, a person going on a journey through life. And what okay. I wanted to do was to show what happened to African Americans and Black Americans in the last half last half of the 20th century, the 60s, the 70s, and 80s how this affected us, changed us, and set the tone for what's happening today. The main character is Andy Michael Pilgrim, and uh, he is on a journey through the, through the, through the 60s in a brownstone in Brooklyn, the 70s in Philly Style and Philly Profile, and the 80s in Ghost of Atlanta. Uh, in the turbulent 60s, he grew up in high school and college, but the book takes place in the, la- in the senior year in college. And, it's tur- it's the, and I use the word turbulent a lot because in the, in the 60s it was turbulence. And yes. how and how the, the race riots in Brooklyn affected and changed him. The death of Dr. Martin Luther King, how it changed him. The sit-ins, the Vietnam War. A lot of people today don't realize there was draft boards then, and the biggest mm-hmm. fear for any young man was to get drafted yeah. and sit to Vietnam. So all these things were affected him and changed him. And I, but I wanted to show the reader, you know, what, what was happening to the individuals, not just globally. You hear, you watch, I the prize and all these great pitches, but. What happened to an individual growing up in this time? So what, what it really Denise, and I really love the book is because it gives you the view from an ordinary person as he looks at all these events that are circling around, you know, the country, you know, from the riots, the sit-ins, the Vietnam War. And I tried to personalize it so our so readers in the future can get a feel of what this time was like. And if you did, read all my books, I have a full feel with music, with food, with senses, touch, sound. And I, I like to put you back into that place, that sense of place, that setting. So in a brownstone in Brooklyn, it's the Brooklyn of the 60s, not now. It's the Brooklyn of the 60s, how it was so different than Brooklyn of, you know, of the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, in some blocks, you could leave your door open and nobody would ever go in your house because everybody knew each wow. other. And you tell people that they didn't sure? yeah. Totally shop, yeah. But that was Brooklyn then. And so what happened was the character became a writer. And uh, in the 70s, he moved to Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, he worked there for the old Philadelphia Bulletin. People in Philadelphia know what that is, one of the best papers ever. And uh, what he saw was the first signs of drugs and gangs destroying young people's lives in the 70s and the breakdown in part of our communities, and the breakdown in North Philly and South Philly and West Philly. So he saw all this. And the character, and the book revolves around the main character and the Michael Pilgrim and a basketball player named Carl Mathis. So it's it's sports, but it's not sports. It's it's a sense of who we are and what we're going through. So in those two decades, this character grows and matures from a young person to a little older person, and you could just see how he can see the prism of all these different things going on. And I think I was effectively able to get this done again because if you read any of the books, Denise, you are in that place, in that time, with that feeling, and you're not here, but you're there. And that was my goal: is get you those, get you into those different places.
0: I think that's the mark of of great writing when you get into, and that's why people, I think, go to the movies and pick up books. They don't want to feel like when they're reading a book that they're still sitting in their living room. They want to feel like they're there in the story. It's like going to the movies. You don't want to feel like while you're in the movies, you're sitting in the theater you want to actually feel like you're going through the experiences that are happening in the movie so i think that's a mark uh, the mark of great writing to actually take somebody and and do your writing transport them to another place or time that they may not have been before uh i think readers appreciate that the main character andy michael pilgrim he seems uh like a conflicted sort of man to me. I know you said he's on a journey, as we all are, and he's trying to figure out his way, and he's coming up through the 60s where he's, I mean, he didn't spend his childhood during those turbulent times, but by college, high school, those are times when we, we, most people, or many people, are starting to make choices about what I want to do, what, how do I want to earn a living, what career do I want to work at, do I want to start a family, it's a lot of time when we start to make some pretty major choices that are going to influence the rest of our life so as he's doing this i feel like he's not made a decision about anything for sure one way or the other he's sort of like um something that will just be drifting along down a river that's the way he he comes across to me not that he's he's made up his mind that somebody could say i'm going to go to college and i'm going to uh, get me a degree, and I'm gonna become a dentist or an attorney or a writer or whatever. He just seems to be going with whatever, whatever. Like he's floating down a river. Whatever wherever he goes, that's where he'll he'll be, and he'll deal with that. What made him number one? Go from New York to Philadelphia. And number two, because I would think sports world New York be the place to be. And then number two, what makes him? Uh, conflicted. He seems conflicted to me.
1: Great question, Denise. First of all, he's a. When he left college, uh, he's got a job with a newspaper. Do realize during that time, there were very, very few black faces in sports on TV, or mm-hmm. on, even hearing on radio. and There was no ESPN, and no. so it it was it was so. Whenever you get a job, matter of fact, uh, up until like the early seventies, there was maybe about. You could put a handful of black sports riders all up and down the East Coast, from from D.C. to Boston. Mm. So, so I wanted to get that. So he got a job with the Philadelphia Bulletin as a sports writer, which is a great job because you know he uh, he, he had a chance to really make a difference, and he had a chance to travel. But the opportunities were far and few between. So the opportunity came up; he had to leave New York and go to Philadelphia, which is another great sports, medic, you know, sports mecca. A uh, second question: He's he is conflicted. Uh, he's very, very passionate. And I think what happens is all these different things are circled around him. And he's trying to find his way. You're right. He's floating along. He's changing. He's seeing things. And he's reflecting. He's more of a reflector of what's going on. You, through him, you can see everything else. You can see the change. You know, you, and mm-hmm. that, that's when we get to the ghost of Lantern, You're going to really think it's conflicting. Because <laughs> I had a reader tell me, email me, I love the character, but... Can't you get a man a break?
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Oh, but that's good. That's why they stick with the story. They do love the character, maybe because he is conflicted. Tell us about one uh, a major conflict, without giving the story away, that happens to uh, Andy in A a Brownstone in Brooklyn. And I love the title, by the way.
1: Thank you, thank you. One of the main things that he had to face was – and we all face this, is overprotectiveness of the parents who want that child to be perfect in every way. And at one time, he totally rebels against this. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm a human. Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. And it it sends sends him off on a tangent, which could have led to something really, really bad. I mean, Uh. really and tragically bad. But luckily, one of the other characters was able to come in and, you know, and give him direction and, you know, and show, you know, this is what is going on. And to calm him down because he's high strung. And so sometimes okay. that sometimes like he would just react and just react and go off. And that could lead to other things, which I use in a lot of the book to show that this character can be, you know, uh influenced. And, you know, and can because he had to make a great decision one time. In the, he's in Harlem. And he was in in there and there was uh H. Brown I talked about that in the book about should he go in direction of either being a militant or being a just a, another black man trying to make it through the world and that's the biggest conflict he faced was should I join him being a militant and go off you know and get the gun and get in the neighborhood and black power and help free the people or should i be you know should I go into college and that was big
0: big wow, and that was a life
1: changing decision. <laughs>
0: Yeah, back then I can see just the climate in the in the '60s and in the '70s, the, particularly the early part of the '70s, where he would be conflicted like that. Particularly with him being in a city. Now, if he was from a real small town, he might not have so much of that conflict. But in a city like either Philadelphia or New York, I could I could understand that, and that is very very re- realistic for that time period that you set a brownstone in Brooklyn in. Uh, are there any events? And I asked you this before, and I, and then even I, even as you were you were you were answering the earlier questions I asked you today, I was thinking this: Are there any events in Philly Style, which is the second the second book in the trilogy trilogy for author shelf listeners in, in the in the in the three three books, which starts with again a brownstone in Brooklyn, Philly Style and Philly Profile, and goes to Atlanta. Are there any events in Philly Style and Philly Profile that are based on your real life experiences?
1: There are one or two events that I use, as because I was a, a sports writer in, in Philadelphia. And uh, what I d- did was I saw a lot of uh, events with, with gangs and, and you know, gang warfare. I saw things, and I used some of that as the basis for some of the events in Philly style. But it's changed. I didn't use the exact event. Uh, one thing I used was a baseball game. Um, it was in North Philly, and I won't give the name of the two schools, but if I called the mascots, you'd know <laughs> who they are. Okay.
0: okay. <laughs>
1: and uh, one of them's the Mustangs.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> and the other one was the Pioneers. Ah,
0: <laughs> uh, okay.
1: <laughs> and uh, what happened was, they was I was at the baseball game, and uh-huh. in the ending, we heard this somebody whistle, and we look up. And there was a, right in the middle of the game, these three or four kids from these teams took off, jumped over the fence, because they had been called to go to a gang warfare.
0: Wow. So,
1: so the, gang warfare, the gangs had more pull over the fact that they are it to a school or a baseball team, and that just blew my mind, that something that negative yes. power could influence. So I use that incidence as one, one of the bases for something in the book. So what I try to do is, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's similar And because I wanted to get that feel of how something so powerful could just take over a young person. People don't influence. Gang warfare is going on now. In fact, I teach high school here in Georgia, and we have gangs here where we have to watch to make sure, with the gang signs and and the colors out. So that's why these books are still relevant. It's still going on now.
0: Yeah, and when gangs first started, I'm told they really were started to sort of counter uh, uh, things that uh, – what they called the night riders used to do, burning down black folks' homes and stuff yes, yes. to counter that. And then somehow it turned, yes. and the p- people ended up fighting each other. Yes. Somehow it went from p- protecting the community to people turning the guns on each other. Uh, it just, it, but it started out as a positive thing, like we're going to protect our community. And then next thing you know, the people are aiming their guns right at each other. Uh, th- that you know, something that transpired over the years, and it hasn't come away from that. Yet, but hopefully and prayerfully that it will. What was it like for you working as a sports journalist? And why do you think there aren't any, aren't more, there's so many African-American athletes. How come there aren't more black sports journalists?
1: Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The first question. Uh, that was probably the best 10 years that I've ever had. Because uh, I worked from 71 through 81 in Philadelphia, <coughs> In Philadelphia. In Philadelphia.
0: Mm-hmm. I was with
1: the bulletin, and I was able to just see. I mean, I was on top of events. I was there when things happened, and I was able to write about it and to instill, you know, uh, uh, help help. Now, some people say I read. Really I coach now, and work with people now. Is the fact that, <clears throat> it's the fact that I, I love working with people and young people, mm-hmm. and-, and I can see their development. So when I went to um, Philadelphia. My goal was two things: to write, and to help get more young kids involved. Matter of fact, I have two people that really followed me. One of them is um, Barnett Wright, who was a copy boy in Philadelphia, and now he's the managing editor of a newspaper in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Birmingham, the big Birmingham newspaper. And I got okay. him started. He, he was where he was in William Penn High School,
0: <laughs> in on oh, uh, okay. um, Broad
1: Street. And I, you know, he wanted to be a journalist. So I brought him in and helped him get started, making good contacts for him. And now he continued. And I think we have to do more of that. And have a young man named Darryl Bell, who did the same, you know, who worked with the same thing. He's now a reporter. And he helped influence others. Uh, Dave Sims, who's now on TV, uh, who's at the ESPN, you know, he got okay. to work with him, help him get started. So what you have to do, and to, to, I try to answer both questions at one time, is that. I really enjoyed the experience of being a reporter,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: I wanted to help. And we don't have that. Number one, with the school system, we've got to get our young people more in tune that writing is important, that reading is important, and this can lead to other opportunities. They don't understand that it can be more, a career can be more than one or two things. They've got to realize that it's a whole horizon of ideas they can, you know, they can achieve and they can go for. And so what – I try to do, and I, I know a lot of other people try to do, is to, you know, is we have our career day, is to show them, which we didn't have then, you know, that you know you can achieve this goal, you know, you don't have to stay in that one area and do that yes. one thing, you know, mm-hmm. that you can grow and you can move. And so what I did as a as a sports writer was to show, because I was one of the few, I was one of the few sports writers, and in, in, matter of fact, I was the only one in Philadelphia. There was no other black faces in Philadelphia
0: wow. in
1: the sports scene. New York had three or four, Boston had three or four, D.C. had one. That was it. There remember that there was no wow. ESPN. There was only the local news and the national news coming over every now and then. So there was really no, you know, no other outlets that p- people could see a face, something that they could wow. And when I walked around a different places and I went to, to different events, people were shocked. You what? Yes, <laughs> is, I'm Julius <laughs> Thompson, Philadelphia Bolton. Blew people's mind, did
0: <laughs>
1: a Matter of fact, tell you a cute story. We are... Uh, and I was a reporter for the Bolton. We went to cover this game. Uh, it was out in near Coatesville, and we were, they were playing. Uh, it wasn't Coatesville. They were. It was uh, O. N. J. Roberts was playing. Uh, I say, one of those Governor Mifflin schools. One of one of the schools from Central PA. So mm-hmm. I was out. I was out there, and I walked in the gym, and there was nobody black but me. <laughs> it was like wow. two thousand people. And here's the kicker: in walked the two officials, and they're black. <laughs> So you have the sports reporter black and the two officials are black, and I looked at. Mm-hmm. I, they came to the scores table. And I teased them. I said, "You know what? If we leave, we leave. They won't have no game here, will they?" <laughs> and they, they broke <laughs> <up>. <laughs> oh
0: my goodness! Oh um, my goodness! Oh my! Well, uh, 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 well, last question on sports. Yes. Being that you were a, a sports journalist. For ten years, you know, you when you sometimes see athletes, and this could be a, a, a incorrect perception on my part. Sometimes they come across as so egotistical, so puffed up. Are, uh, are, would you say the? I mean, the, I'm talking about the elite, elite athletes. Right. Are they really that way, or would you say no they're really, you know, basically down to earth people? They're not as as puffed up as they might come across.
1: It's two things, these, yes and no. Yes, they, some of them are because they've never been disciplined, and they've never been shown that this is how you present yourself. A lot of mm-hmm. these have never been taught. Uh, when I when I coach, and when and some of my kids go on TV or radio, I coach them on how to present themselves. A lot of my athletes have never been coached at all. They get up there, they don't know how to you know to get their ideas across, and every other word is yeah, you know, you know, all this kind of stuff instead of speaking clearly, distinctively, and some of them is just a reflex reaction. Some of it, it's like it's like self-image is low, and they're trying to show that I'm better than you think I am, you know. And some of them, their attitudes have never, never been developed. That to the point that you know, to be humble, you've been, you've been, you're talented, you're gifted, you have a lot of great things for you. But to be humble, you know, and to let that come across. And a lot of them have never been taught. This is how you uh, <clears throat> come across as a person. This is how you come across to show what you can. You know, no, no, this is what I've done. So you're very correct. You can pick up a lot of things, and you know, and being a former reporter, I can pick up things when I watch them on TV, because I've interviewed athletes, you know, from Dr. J all the way up, you know, and I know, you know, uh, uh, not Kobe Bryant, but Joe Brown, which is Kobe Bryant's father, who Kobe Bryant is mm-hmm. the LA Lakers. So you know, I know what you know what athletes can do and what they can do. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the reason I wanted to write Denise, and this is a point I think I made last time, is. When I was writing for the bulletin, I did a story mm-hmm. on a young man from one of the high schools in the West Philadelphia area and he was a football player. And mm-hmm. I you know and he spoke very well and so I said, You know, I'll bring you a couple you know, copies of the articles. And back then that was huge. I mean for you getting a newspaper it was just absolutely huge. I mean there was nothing
0: okay. else.
1: And so I brought it to him and the saddest thing Denise was he couldn't read it. One of his friends friends read the story uh... to
0: him.
1: And that blew my mind. I said, Why am I writing wow. a book when some of our kids uh, can't read or write? And that's wow. when I got into education. That's when I said I'm gonna switch and I'm gonna change because wow. I can't see this, Denise. I can't I couldn't see myself doing that. And so when I write uh, books now, when I write books now, the kids in my classes they'll see they'll see a they'll say, you wrote that? And yes, yes. You I mean you can I said, yes, you can write books too. Yeah, you can do it too. I mean, you know, you just gotta put your mind to it. And so you try to show kids that you know that you can do, you can do, and a lot of them read Brownstone, a lot of them read Philly, and they relate to the characters. And uh, which, which my first publisher said Brownstone nobody under forty would relate to it, and that's the biggest audience is people who are under forty who
0: wow isn't that something? That. Isn't uh-huh. that something? You see, sometimes the experts get it wrong. And a lot of times you have to trust what you feel on the inside. Yes. I, I, how many books really took off and somebody told the writer this will never sell, or such and such. These types of people will never buy the book. And it just, you, and if you believe it in yourself and you really go and push it, you you can. The expert will just they'll like be like a vapor. And the, but it's it, if you let other people tell you what's you know speak over you like that, and you're like oh they said it won't work so it won't work then you'd be doomed to, <laughs> to yeah, totally doomed it you, totally, totally. Yeah, you have to have self confidence and trust what you feel on the inside. Before we go and talk about the ghost of Atlanta, and I'm so grateful for you, appreciate you sharing that story. You wrote the article on the athlete, uh and then he was unable to read it that we I, I, I saw a show, I can't remember the name of it. It's based on a true life uh event about this very talented football team out in Texas, and one of the at the end of the story, one of the running backs, he was just outstanding, and he got injured. And I think his uncle was—he was living with his uncle, and he came on at the end of the show, and asked him if he had any advice for anybody. He said, "Get your education," because he said he didn't do that. He was put—he was banking everything on his athletic talent. And right. What, what what happens, and I know of really talented athletes, what happens if, if you either make a bad decision, you don't have the education to rebound from it, or you get injured? There's no yeah. law that says you're not going to get injured. And so, yeah. and, and, then, and then you can't read or write, and that's what happened to that football player when that movie, I wish I could think of the name of it. They actually even made a TV series out of it, but he said get your education. He was yes. such an outstanding athlete that he thought, he knew if he never got hurt he would have made millions as a football player but uh he got hurt and he wasn't able to fully recover so that that I'm glad that, that we touched on that who yes. are
1: some
0: of the who are some of the other uh major and minor characters in Philly style and Philly profile because Andy Michael Pilgrim is now he's he's left New York he's graduated from college he's learned about his uh reporter program or he just started writing as a reporter Right after college, or, or or in college, and he's now come to Philadelphia, and he's he's writing for a local newspaper there. Who are some of the other major and minor characters in Philly, style, Philly profile that you introduced to readers to help to move the story forward?
1: There are three great characters. One of them is Mr. Clinton, and he is he's a recreation leader, and in, uh, in in Philadelphia, and they, they, and just to get a shout out, these they're some of the best people in the world because they are uh, the front line. They give these kids a chance to do things in the afternoon, positive things. So he, and I really wanted to write about what these people do. He's a recreation leader, and he is one of the keys to the story because he knows the story between the, the main characters, the, the antagonist and the protagonist, and uh, he is the balance between the two. There's uh, Philip, who, who is a minor character, but he is, eventually he will be the one that comes up big in Ghost of Atlanta because he moves to Atlanta also.
0: Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah,
1: he, he's from he's from South Philly, from, from over in South Philly, mm-hmm. in Washington, Washington Street. And uh, there's another character who is minor, minor, but she is, her name is Martha, and she's critical to one of the bases to the story, which is to find the black bag. And if he, readers can...
0: To, oh, the, he just dropped some big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, you pique my interest. You just dropped something big.
1: And okay. she, she she does that. And what I did also in Philly, Philly is now. I what I did. I I had a great reader among my students to help students. This this young man named Omar Troy has a tremendous voice. I mean, he is deep. He's going to be the next great announcer. And I had mm-hmm. a, one young man does music. And I, I podcasted two chapters of Philly, the prologue at Chapter 23, and readers can really hear and see in their minds, and it's at Podomatic.com. And it's two chapters from Philly Style and Philly Profile that you can actually hear.
0: And it's Podomatic.com, okay. Yes,
1: yes, yes, Podomatic.com. And go to the website, and go to Philly, where it says Philly, Philly Style, they can, it'll jump you right to it, and you can listen oh, to okay. it, you go to the website. And, you know, it'll say Philly Style. It's a Philly Style and Philly Profile, and you can jump on it, and it's a Philly podcast. And it'll jump right okay. to the podcast, and you can listen to it, and you get a feel. But that Martha and all these different characters, and what, what I've learned over the years is that as a writer is you have to populate your book with great minor characters. And these characters yeah. have influence and change, and they will mm-hmm. love Mr. Clinton because he represents the good, the good out there. And Martha represents a change and a sacrifice. Ah. And and ah. Philip represents someone who's supportive of Andy and the main character. And you know, and, and is Andy and Carl in Philly South Philly Profile. Because it, it it's what happens, Philly's a fast paced book. It's it's uh, it's based on one weekend. It uh. and that's where I divide it up Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, what happens and it, it picks up speed and people say they read it, they can't put it down. It just it just goes like a zoom you know, one event after the other, leading to the okay. climax on Sunday morning. So so these characters are very influential. They change, they support, and they give the reader insight, and they represent certain views that I want to come across into
0: the book. Okay. Wow. Oh, my goodness. When we last spoke, Julius, you were working on The Ghost of Atlanta, which is the last. This is like you have to get all of these books. This is the last book if you want to. Know how the story wraps up. I know since we since we spoke, you've completed the novel, so congratulations. And you also recent it also recently got picked up by Barnes and Noble. Can you tell us about the um about about the Ghost of Atlanta getting picked up by Barnes and Noble? When did that happen, and what what did what was that experience like for you?
1: I tell you, this it's, it's, it's a, it, it is a breakthrough. I mean, and I got the email from my publisher, and the email was just. What so she, said, she said it was, uh, congratulations, you know, uh, and that uh, as of this morning, because it's big, you know, Barnes & Noble has decided to have agreed to carry your title, Ghost of Atlanta, on their shelves. Congratulations, wow. a big honor. And when I emailed the publisher thanking her, she said, no, thank you, because this is a big honor for us to get a book. Because, Denise, there are a lot of thousand books out there, and I know what it feels like to be trying to get a book into on a bookshelf. Yes, and when I went to the local Barnes and Noble, they said it's going to be on the shelves this weekend, and it's supposed to be six weeks. Some of them will be earlier. Oh
0: my goodness! So happy,
1: so happy. And this book, Denise, is a combination of all the other books, in the sense that uh, it has, I can wrap up things, and I can put everything in perspective, because in Atlanta, what it does, uh, the character now faces demons from his youth. Early early youth, and he sees the effects of the you know reverse migration of black of blacks from the northern cities black to the, back to the new south, and the change and how people come back and it's like going home again. Things are not the same at all. And what Andy has to do is to face this situation. And
0: now let me <clears throat> go ahead because I have, now I have a question on, on top of yeah. my head, but go ahead.
1: And what happened is. In Ghosts of Atlanta, or the bulletin closes, the newspaper closes in Philadelphia, and he's okay. searching, to, searching, to find a place to go, and he's going back to Brooklyn. We to go back to Brooklyn, but um, being there's very, very few black sports writers, he gets his opportunity in, a, in Atlanta to, to come to Atlanta and to work for a place, a newspaper called Atlanta Defender, and uh, in coming back, he faces. Uh, because the family is originally from Georgia, and they moved to New York, but his uh, mother does not want him to go back to Georgia because she's afraid these old ghosts is going to come up. And why she left originally?
0: <laughs> oh, she's she's got secrets. Mom's yes. got secrets. Yes. Okay.
1: And she does okay. not want him to go back to go back to Atlanta at all. Uh, and if you see the cover, the cover did a great job. It's an intensity yes, on that character's yes. face that this yeah. really. When you get the book, it's, just, it's, it's, it's almost it's, it's mesmerizing. And that's the way that's the, way the character is. And you're right, they conflicted. And all these things come up in Ghost of Atlanta. And here's the thing that you love, Denise. I, I, I created a character called Joe Boy, supposed mm-hmm. to be a minor character. But the character grew to, by the end of the book, it, he became a major character. And he's wow. Andy's cousin. But here's the thing uh, that people just absolutely, and I get emails all the time, you don't know whether Joe Boy is real or not real. Oh. So there are ghosts. ghosts can be can be uh, the demons oh. in a person's mind, oh, okay. or they could be a real ghost. Yes. <laughs> and so oh, now okay. the readers can't figure it out. Readers are going crazy. And so a lot of readers say, you've got to write a book about Joe Boy, because when you read Ghost of Atlanta, uh, he, he just influences, he does things that are human, and also if things happen, you want to hold it. This shouldn't happen. What 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 happened and it keeps the reader really turning the pages find out? What happened? What is what's going on now? And uh it it ends with um and I tell a little something that I I know a lot of people like this. Uh he and has a love affair in Brownstone in Brooklyn that he left and, and separated for years. And but she's now in Atlanta also. And well, uh, interesting. And so Did now she they meet again. Was
0: she there was she there when he got there? Was she there before he got there? or Yeah, she was she there before he down. got there. Okay. Okay. And so and so
1: she's there, but I, I won't give too much away. But Right. Fact, one of my, i uh, I tell you this, but one of my uh, friends at church read the Brownsville in Brooklyn, and she, they loved the, the, the female cat. Her name is Leslie. And there's a, mm-hmm. they're an old couple. They were like 80. They read the book together. I thought it was so cute. They read the book together, <laughs> Brownson in Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. they said, now, don't you kill that girl now. Don't you
0: kill that girl. <laughs> <laughs> They'll tell you, don't you kill that girl. I won't
1: tell them what I did, but they, they're going to be mad at me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh,
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> So it oh, goes to Atlanta.
1: I think people, because the book is, uh, is gone on a George Author year nomination, a reader's favorite five-star. Oh, congratulations. award in August. Yes, and it's got two or three other awards going, too. I'm going to I'm gonna be in Chicago in June at the Printer's Row Book Fair and something may happen there. So this book has really galvanized, pulled things together, and it's a book that has full intensity. And it t- touches on the racism that's still in the South. It touches right. on emotions that's still here. It touches on the conflicts going on, the personal. So, it's again, it's a reflective view and touches on what happens when people have left a place and come back again.
0: Mm. You know, in a face
1: situation. So you're right, you hit the right words. conflicted. And, and right. that's what one, one other people read the book told me. Let get that poor boy breakly. <laughs> I "Nah."
0: <laughs> you know, I have to ask you now. You are, I'm, I'm so happy for you, your, your achievements, and I like how you, you take action, and you make what you want to have happen. You help make it happen. You don't just sit back and just, you know, sometimes you can. We can be uh, fall into the trap of saying, "Okay, I'll pray for it and just wait for it to fall out the sky." But you, you, we have to put something into it too, yes. so to actually do something to, to to make things happen. You you start off as a sports writer. You're now a uh, a novelist, and I, I have to ask you, what what would you say to somebody who was they they maybe maybe completed one part of a career? Uh, d- d- ten years twenty years as a sports writer, or whatever they were doing, and they wanted to pick up writing. Some people would say you know what i'm 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 near the middle of my middle years it's too late. I should have done it in my twenties. What would you say to somebody who says you know i'm 'm fifty or sixty I should just stay at home with my grandkids or re- just wait to retire, but they wanted to 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 take up another career, whether it was writing or something else. We sometimes let age stop us. What would you yes. say to somebody who was do, I, I, who was I, doing that?
1: And that's a great, great, great question, Denise. Because I'm 63, and I'm mm-hmm. still coaching, teaching, writing, doing everything. And people can't believe and they see me and they say, "You?" Th-? I said, "Yes." Uh, what they got to do, Denise, is age is just a number. Mm-hmm. Mentally, if you let yourself think that way, then you're gonna be that way. You okay. have to get out. And because I teach uh, evening at Emory class uh, for uh, in at Emory University for creative writing Mm -hmm. and I have writers coming now, people who in their sixties, seventies and eighties.
0: Wow. One lady coming to
1: Kane I said, she said, I'm right. I said, I said, I don't care, you're right. And she got a great story. So what you gotta do is to me, when you wanna see something and you got a goal, you've got to go after it.
0: I yes. mean, You've got
1: to go after that goal. You can't let people, you know. You can't let that because I hear it all the time. Well, this is this. I said, and there's no such thing. There's no such animal. Number one, you got the wisdom. You have the knowledge. You have the drive yeah. and desire. And a lot, a lot, a lot of people in my class who say, you know, I raised my children. Now I'm gonna do something I wanna do. I wanna write. Mm. I'm gonna write now. And I said, you okay. Go, you got go for it. Go for it. I said yes. everybody, to go for it. You know, don't even think about it. Find find a good creative writing schools in your area. Go to your creative writing schools, pick up techniques, go to book signings, you know, just, just to learn. Go to book signings, you know, Philadelphia had a book fair. I mean, you you, you at the book fair, you're networking, you're meeting people,
0: mm-hmm. and you get,
1: you getting out there, and you learn, and you keep growing. You don't, you don't let anything hold you back, nothing, not one wow. thing.
0: Don't let anything hold you back. No, Not ma- even the no. own the own crazy thoughts in your own head that those keep telling you you can't do it. Don't even let them ho- those hold you back. No, go after no, what you want. The Put them aside me. too, and you just keep on going. You take those old crazy thoughts and make them, make them appear like there's somebody standing outside of you telling you can't do it, and just push them aside and keep on going. Is <laughs> the keep main on going. character? Yes. And you live in proof that it can be done. Just oh, got the yes. book oh, in yes. Barnes and Noble and winning these awards and you still teaching it and Emory University is a top top school yes. in the country. So so congratulations to you. Is the main character is he able finally I'm and I'm kind of t- tempted not to ask you this question because I don't want to give a story away. <laughs> Maybe you answered in a way so it doesn't give it away. But does he able is he able to resolve this conflict? Because first of all, he's got his own conflicts yes. from growing up in the '60s and the '70s, what he what he's seen. We probably grew up in the '50s, but from what he's seen and experienced in the '60s and the '70s, and then also now he's going back to Atlanta, where he's all he's known before this is is, is Brooklyn and Philly. And his family's from Georgia, but his mom's got secrets of her own. So I'm sure they're going to be not only his own conflicts he's bringing down with him, but he's probably going to discover some things about his family that's even going to shake him up even more. Through all of this, this guy's dealing with a lot of stuff. Is he able to, at least to some degree, resolve these inner conflicts?
1: Yes, he does, because as as uh. There's two characters that help him. He does. He, he did end. A lot of these things, are, are even our Joe Boy is one of the reasons things happen. That's why people can't r- realize what he is because he's like, he's there. He's a cousin, but he helps Andy resolve a lot of these issues. And so does Aunt Lizzie, who is his mother's aunt. He's really his great. Okay. And she helps him also. And the great question is because I have a great editor, and, you know, you got to have a great editor. His name is Dennis DeRose out of Milltown, New York. And I found him, and I tell you what, Denise, he he did tremendous, because he was wow. able to get help me some ideas, or things that I could do. Mm-hmm. And I want to give a big shout out to him, as Dennis DeRose. If you ever need the editor, he's 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 absolutely incredible. I he love my editor. <laughs> yeah, well, he does. He took one word, Denise, and get back to the question in a second. He took one word at the beginning of the book, uh-huh. one word. He changed one word from plummeted to slammed that lifted those two pages off just off the chart. Wow. He just he just thought, you know, he said, try this word instead, and that just worked. But get back to your point, yes. Uh, all the issues he faced, from the possible mm-hmm. drug the, I drug addiction and other things that happened to him early, to the mm-hmm. family troubles, to what happened to him and Leslie, all these things are resolved. And in the end, it's like, if it, you read all three books, by the time you get to the ending in that last part of the book, it's like he, he takes a deep breath. It's like a deep okay. breath. And I say that with the readers like because it takes a deep breath. And he seems to you know, seem to sit calm down and uh and Joe Boy does something that at the end that, that all, because he's with three other people and they, and they said and it, and, and you can see them looking at each other and said, Whoo, what was that? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> you know. But he takes that deep breath, he has <clears throat> a new perspective on life. And one thing I wanted to really to see was that, and it goes back to this youth, that one question. I am not mm-hmm. perfect. I can't do everything right, but I can do the best I can. And he learns that we all learn as you get older. And that's the thing I talk about and when, and when I talk about Ghost of Atlanta, is that as we get older, we learn we do the best we can do, and that is all we can do.
0: <laughs> we, yeah. can, we, we
1: can't be perfect. We can't be perfect and do everything yeah, but right. But you
0: know what? Maybe, maybe when you think about it, maybe we are perfect. We just We're judging ourselves, and that's what what we can't do. We can't judge ourselves, so maybe we are right where we're supposed to be. We're with the people we're supposed to be with, but we keep judging ourselves and saying, no, I'm coming up short somewhere, and maybe we are doing it just the way it's supposed to go. Perhaps that could just be what is occurring, uh, but as we keep judging, we keep thinking we're coming up short. What has reader response been like? We know some people told you that you had to focus on his cousin more. Is this guy real or is he not real? And before before I ask you, you answer about the reader response. Do you believe that when people, I call it transition or crossover, because I don't think that we ever die, but do you think that people, when they cross over to the other side, that they do come back sometimes and help those of us who are still over here?
1: I think we have angels. I think okay. they are angels. Because when there's angels, there's the other side, too, the evil side. And I do believe in it. In of fact, in, in Ghost of Atlanta, you see this a lot because you wonder okay. in the book. And you can actually look and see some characters are on the other side, the evil side, mm-hmm. and some characters on the good side. I believe that we, are, we get help, that we get tremendous help, that when you know when we see situations, that we're in situations, that there are ch- times. I could tell you a story, Denise, that... Uh, um, when I was in Philadelphia, and if you know downtown Philadelphia, there is a crosswalk. When you cross the street, used to be the old Watermakers Building, and there's an island there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, right at City Hall. Yeah. I was standing there, waiting, for, you know, just waiting to cross the street, right. and I was on the edge, and I and something just as clear as I'm talking, to you says, "Freeze!" I froze, wow. Denise, and and I didn't even move. And the bus came as close as, as you know, and it was so wow. close that it almost scraped the, my watch crystal.
0: out. Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: And I was, I was, if I had leaned or moved any kind of way, and I just as clear as I can hear. So that's why when I, t- I told him the church one time when I tell, when I, when I tell you, tell you that there are forces that help us, and there are angels that help us, the angels that help us. And and I know that you know, and I tell people the fact. People, I say, I don't care, believe it or not, I know what happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: know what happened to be this God. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. What, so next, what has readers' response been like to um to the Ghost of Atlanta? What are readers telling you that they also about the book?
1: I tell you what, the readers it's just incredible. The readers' response has been tremendous. I cannot tell you. First of all. When I wrote the book, I was wondering would people um, like the book? Would people just say, "Well, no, this is something ordinary"? But the reaction Denise has been absolutely extraordinary. First, I've gotten a, a tremendous review from Reader's Favorite, which is a, a national re, a, a organization that, that, that analyzes books, and they're very critical. Sometimes they were they were they were, they were, they were uh, do very, very bad reviews, but they gave me a five-star super Ooh. review. And that yeah,
0: was me. Yeah. But,
1: but what got me also, Denise, was uh, my book was read because all of my books now are e-books, and you can get them, My books are e-books. You can get them as print. You can get them a Kindle, Nookbook, everywhere. So one a professor from Emory read it and, and wrote a tremendous uh, – she, she, she didn't write a review, but she told me some tremendous things about the book, how she loved the book, how this book is going to be – is going to be up there. This book is going to be up there. Wow. Uh, the Georgia author of the year. It's, it's people have got just tremendous comments. I mean, about the characters, the books, uh, who you know, who they are, just the situations. Um, matter of fact, uh, the book in the small town, which which is more, a, big, a lot of the book take place in Georgia. It was on the cover of that newspaper, and it got tremendous. Cause a lot of scenes take place there. I've got tremendous results back. I thought that a lot of people, especially when I was talking about civil still racism and things, would not like it. But it has crossed that barrier, um, mm. and then and then just just to just to get the response of the ordinary person just has been incredible. I'm almost almost in shock that the book is, is wow. just really taken off, and my oh, I'm, publisher. I'm... Passionate Writer Publishing it does a tremendous job. They're the ones that got me in Barnes and Nobles. They're the ones that did the cover. If you ever, they're called Passionate Writer Publishing, and they're just absolutely tremendous. They just, they they they, they really push. They they do things to help you, and they they're very very professional. And I think this book has got the treatment that I wish the other books had got. You know, just just the mm-hmm. overall push. Okay. But I think everything's based on, on one thing as in another. That is, you know, it's just a combination of uh, yes. very positive elements.
0: Wow. D- did you receive formal training, uh, Julius, at a college or university? I know you you, you were a sports writer, or oh, would you more consider yourself to be self taught?
1: I was formal training, but I thought I as as my writing is self taught. Right, self taught. Okay. But I, for for the education in college, it was just writing. But that's why I say you want to, anyone who wants to really get started now, you know, I talk a lot about myself. You get the basis from, 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 uh, from, from creative writing classes. Take one or two creative writing classes, those who want to get started, uh, and be organized. Know what you want to do. Have an idea of what you want to do. And learn to write. And know the difference between writing and editing. Writing, you have to get the ideas out first. Then you go mm-hmm. back and edit. You can't you can't do it at the same time, and that's a mistake a lot of people make. You can't do. You got to get the book written first, then you go back and edit. You can't just yeah, write and I,
0: edit. I used to when I first started writing, I found myself doing that. Yes. And I said, I'll never get this book written, and you will never really write a good story. So just get it down. And get it then out. Uh, I do also recommend a good editor cuz not just any editor mm-hmm. but an mm-hmm. editor who they, you want a good editor
1: because Knows you. they
0: yeah and they got they want they would have to appreciate your voice and so yes. your voice is heard not theirs and just somebody good i i got to tell you a, a good editor good structural editing and good line editing um now that the ghost of atlanta is out julius are you working on any new material i know you're out here Spreading the word about Ghosts of Atlanta, but in the back of your mind is a is a new book already stirring itself up.
1: I, I'm already started. I've, i my fourth book is called Purple Phantoms, and oh, it, it, I got about thirty five thousand words into it, Denise. I'm, I'm busy. I'll, wow. I'll never stop. <laughs> and it's not the oh trilogy goodness. at all. <clears throat> nothing to do with the trilogy. Okay. And what it is is my what happened was uh, what the genesis of this book is. Over the years, I've known athletes and coached athletes who died, and um, for different reasons. Uh, some with just natural causes, some were killed. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to say, what would happen? And this goes back we talked about earlier. If they were given a second chance to come back, wow. and for, for and this is about a basketball team, that's why it's called Purple Phantoms. And what it is is, is these five ghosts were given the opportunity to come back. Some were good, some are good on earth, some weren't, and they were given a chance to come back for a basketball season. And so they are connected with five basketball players, a losing team, and on this losing team, they help this team turn around. And it's really turning to a really – and also, I, I, I'm experimenting. With. Our first time I'm going to use second person, second person mm-hmm. in the book, and I want to try something different because I believe you got to grow as a writer. So this mm-hmm. is not a trilogy. It's a whole different book. My readers may say, oh, no. <laughs> they like it. <laughs> you never know. But it's, I'm working that now. And I have a f- oh, fifth book called Travels Phantom. on the Greyhound I'm thinking about.
0: Oh, on the Greyhound, what you think about? Purple Phantoms. Oh, my goodness. You sound like you've already got quite a bit of it. Uh, so when did you start writing on Purple Phantoms?
1: What I do now, I learned this from a great writer called Terry Kay. And this is a bicycle in the writer. He told me, he said, Julius, when you finish one book, you finish the last edit on that book. Don't get up from that computer or typewriter until you start the next book. That's how I was able do this.
0: Wow! I never get heard that he, before. Yeah,
1: he said if you get the first line down, but see, it keeps your mind thinking. You finish that edit last book, you get that new folder out, and you start your next book right there. You don't, you don't wait. You don't wait.
0: Wow! Oh my goodness. In what ways, Julia? since we only have six minutes left, in uh-huh. what ways so far has creating books changed you as a person?
1: It, it, what it does, it just gives me tremendous, tremendous exposure. I've met, what I love, I love relationships and people. I've been able mm-hmm. to travel to different places to meet different people, to meet other authors, go to events. Like last year, I went in the spring, I was in Virginia for the Virginia Festival of the Book, I was in Buffalo, which I'd never been before. I would never been in Charlottesville before. so what it does is giving me an opportunity to go out and to meet other like-minded people, and also to give me a chance to encourage people, and I get encouragement from other people. Uh, it just just gives me a whole perspective on life. I look at situations, I think about situations, and what it does is makes me, I think, a more well-rounded individual. And if what it does, I think everybody's got talent, I think, but you've got to be breaking that talent out. And it's given me a chance to show that I have talent now. I want to bring this talent out and to use this talent. Because I want people to read this book. The best thing I love, Denise, is uh, two of my books in libraries now. Hopefully it goes to i in the mm-hmm. library. And so now people who can read about, say, if you're a person who never heard of, or never dealt with the 60s, the other 70s, or or going back to the place but just get the book and get into a good story that hopefully in the future people can read it and say, Wow, this was a different kind of place, different time. Yeah. And I really wanted to save these feelings and these times and these music and these sights to get people a chance to see and to get a view, because as African Americans, we we used to tell stories, and I, I didn't want to lose these stories. I, I didn't want to lose, you know, this. I wanted to get us out there. That's why I hope we get a lot more people writing, because there are a lot more stories out there. We're losing yeah. our history, Denise. We're losing our stories. We're losing who we are. And I want to at least give a little part of it back to the future generation.
0: Mm-hmm. What advice, Julius, as we come down again to the last few minutes, what advice would you give to off shelf listeners who themselves you have a wonderful publisher, but who themselves are trying to land a book publisher? And if somebody already has a book publisher, would you recommend they stay with them, or if they don't like, they want something better, that they go on and look for a new publisher?
1: Well, I like them to do and this is a great question. Is to take control of their future. Like I have mm. my, I found passing around a publisher because I was dissatisfied with my other two publishers, and that's uh-huh. how I found this publisher. And I found it by going to the AGCDK Book Festival. I saw this publisher there. We talked. We got involved. And I found the best publisher who would be with for a long time. Also, take control of your books. Uh, What I've done for Brownstone and Philly is uh, I was able to go to – it's a website called – it's a great, great organization called smashwords.com. Yeah. And I was able to put both of those books out as e-books. And then now they've gotten, Brownstone's got a new life now because it's getting readers, Philly is getting readers that they never had before. So mm. they've got to take control, their, you know, find a good publisher, you know, get out there. And what you want to do is to go to, um, it's a website called uh, Predators and Editors, and here's a list of all the, the uh, agents oh, and publishers. Oh,
0: yes, that is a good site. It lets yes. you know about those editors you need to kind of steer away yes. from. Yeah, you better
1: believe that believe I know. I know, I know, I know I believe me, I know. And and so what I don't need is to get these people to get knowledge. You know. Don't be afraid to try different things. Don't be afraid to, to get out there and do things. You know, and just enjoy each time just enjoy the whole process. Not just the publication, but enjoy the writing, enjoy the promotion, enjoy seeing your book and I, everything else will follow through. It's just you just keep enjoying mm. moment
0: by moment. Oh, Julius, you are such a delight. I must tell you, you are truly a delight. Before before we close, I want to make sure I tell our listeners about two 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 missions that are going on. One is a friend I met actually at a writing event, and I've been meaning to tell our off the shelf listeners about it. She has a website called Touching Lives Missions, and it's spelled the way it sounds: Touching Lives L I V E S Missions dot org, and she's. Uh, she and her husband. She's a nurse. She's starting uh, a, a medical clinics over in uh, in countries that are developing developing countries. And I think she's right now uh, focusing on Africa. Again, it's Touching Lives Missions dot org. I encourage Off the Shelf listeners to go over there and support her. And I just recently found out that Off the Shelf's been listed in a uh, Office Talk Radio Show Directory,
1: and okay. it's
0: uh uh. uh She says, the directory of Authors Talk Radio Show, you can look for that at Smashwords or Authors Talk Radio Shows. And, again, it's smashwords.com, Books, View, and then 17074. Again, the title, Authors Talk Radio Shows or Authors Talk. Well, that's the same thing, Authors Talk Radio Shows. I told her (laughs) I would mention it it on the show. I didn't even know we were listed in, in, in there, but I told her I would mention it. I have got to thank you so much, Julius. You are a wonderful, I'm telling you, I know you're an awesome sports writer, awesome novelist, awesome teacher, and you are an awesome radio show guest. Oh, my goodness, I can see you on television. You are just so, you're a wonderful, wonderful guest. So I thank you again, and we have been speaking with, and I encourage our listeners to go out and support him. Julius Thompson, the author of the book the trilogy he he he'd finished, A Brownstone in Brooklyn, Philly Style and Philly Profile, and Ghost of Atlanta, which recently came out. It's winning awards. It's was accepted into Barnes & Noble, which is quite, quite, quite an achievement. His other books are in libraries. You can get his books in ebook format at smashwords.com. Just go over there and do a search on Julius Thompson, J-U-L-I-U-S Thompson, and uh, look for his books, again, Philly Style and Philly Profile, A Brownstone in Brooklyn, and Ghost of Atlanta. And visit him online at JTWrites.com, and that's spelled the way it sounds, J-T-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. Thank you so much, Julius. And, and I look forward to when you release and finish uh, Purple Phantoms, your new book that you're working on, Thank you to all of our listeners here at Off the Shelf. Please go support Julius and pick up a copy of Long Walk Up. As always, remember you're so truly, truly valued, so incredibly blessed. You are just awesome and amazing. Go and create a marvelously good day for yourself. And, Julius, again, I wish you well. Thank you, and I'll be sending you an email. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now.